Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Hello, we're here with part three of the Prohibition documentary um, by Ken Burns that on Canopy. And we also have the physical copy here at the Scranton Public Library. We are here again with Anne. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part three. Part three of the Prohibition documentary opens with Congressman LaGuardia of New York, which I didn't realize he was a congressman. I just know the airport. airport. <laughs> I know. I didn't know he was a congressman either. I thought he was a mayor for some reason. I mean, he very well could have been too. Maybe at one time. Yeah. yeah. But he did publicity stunts where he would mix non-alcoholic beer and malt to create beer and then would drink it on video and dare the prohibition officers to arrest him. Yes, yes, basically come after him. Yeah. Um, That didn't happen. No, no, they did not. And then they just proceed to talk about how prohibition was a massive failure. And that was the entire theme of the the third third part. Yes, yes, that's the whole theme of the third part. 14, when it was a 14 years, 13 years. 13 years. It lasted, and what came out of it is it did not work. Yeah. <laughs> and that um, was also like the beginning of the jazz age, mm-hmm. too, so we did cover a lot of that. Yeah, I, I just vividly remember at the beginning of it, there's this like weird video of like a flapper dancing with a dancing elephant. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I, like, I don't know what it was different. for. I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I, I remember that. But it stuck yeah, with me. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. And then it moves into the jazz age. Yes. And they talked about how it was a massive change in American society because places opened up to women, in particular speakeasies. Yes, exactly. Yep. And it was also the economy was booming. booming. Yeah, they, Wall Street was flourishing. And um, I guess it was... It was a pace, change of pace, too. Mm-hmm. The cities were growing bigger. Yet, like you said, women found themselves going places that they would never had before. And all ages were participating. Yeah. So it wasn't just one. It was everyone was participating. Yeah, and I just thought of it now. Like, cars are really starting to take off That's then. true. Yes, because like, there were a lot of cars in the documentary. Mm-hmm. The start of, yep, that's true. I didn't yeah. even think of that. And then movies were moving into, like, the talkies. Yes. And they had voices and speech Speeches. in them now right which was strange to see throughout the documentary they would put in people speaking that you never, never heard speak before yeah and you're like oh that's their accent yeah <laughs> yeah that yeah i found that very interesting too yeah because later in the documentary i just remember they have a speech with fdr yes. where he's like joking yes and, and I'm like, oh, all you ever hear of him is the DJ speech. speech. You never hear anything else. Yes, yeah. it was that was very good. I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> that was very interesting. With the jazz age, they mentioned people just start to go completely against the Volstead Act. And they just love to party. Oh, did they love to party? They really <laughs> loved to party. <laughs> and then most of the deaths that occurred were due to police raids on speakeasies or the government poisoning the alcohol. Yes, that was very, that was very, very big. And then Wayne Wheeler really alienated himself. Oh boy, did he ever. (laughs) Because he stated that people who participated, it was their own fault that they died. Yes. And it wasn't the responsibility of the police or Or the government. And no one should ever, no one should feel sorry for them at all. Yeah. 
the it, people were just stunned that he said that. Mm -hmm. It really just like ruined his whole yeah his whole career. They didn't talk about him at all oh, okay. after that. No, you, you don't see him mentioned <laughs> at all. And then they went into the culture of speakeasies. So a lot of immigrants would go to them as it was almost a replacement for saloon culture. Right, exactly. Um, with the exception that women were also often at speakeasies. Right. And I, one of the uh, biggest, um, well, they called her the most celebrated hostess was Tex Gunion. Yes. She was, a, I guess, a former ex-Western movie star. Mm -hmm. And she had so many speakeasies clothes that she ran that she literally had a charm necklace made of miniature gold padlocks. I just love that. I do too. I was like, I, this is great. I just love that. <laughs> and, uh, and it was basically like, like if one closed, two more opened. Mm -hmm. then, and some of the famous ones they talked about were like, of course, the 21 Club, the Stork Club, the Hole in the Wall. Mm -hmm. And there were a million of them. And plus the private ones. Yes. And the residents. And they would talk about how a lot of people, I know you love the signs. Yes. In the window. <laughs> Yes, people would put up signs in their private home saying, this is not a speakeasy, please do not knock on this door. Yeah. <laughs> um, they did mention that the raids could be super violent, yes. um, which really plays a role later. Yes, very much so, yes. And then they talked about, I think, who might be my favorite character through all of it, Lois Long. Yes, oh yes. And she worked for the New Yorker magazine, and she was assigned to cover nightlife and under the pen name of Lipstick. Yes. And she would report on all of the goings-on in the speakeasies. And she allowed women who weren't wealthy enough or lived in too rural of an area to attend the Hoppin nightlife right. speakeasies of New York to experience what they what they were what, like. Right. And they, they quoted as saying that she was the embodiment of the 1920s flapper. Yeah. And her picture is included in the document. And when you look at her, she looks like... Yep. Yep. Has the... The bobbed hair. And, and the cap. And the cap, yes. And um, she was actually a favorite of uh, Harold Ross, who was the editor. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about that was that he was a very stoic Midwesterner. And she was just a wild New Yorker, and he loved her. I mean, she literally would come in the morning drunk from the night before and climb over and desks to get to her desk. And, and then just write her articles. Just write her articles. And, and they talk about how she attended one where the speakeasy was open until 7 a.m. I yeah. couldn't even imagine. No. I'm such like, I need to be home by like 9. Yes. Like, I can imagine <laughs> staying up till 7 a.m. No. The next morning, but they had this like boa constrictor dance oh, that yes. amazed everyone because everyone was completely wasted. At yes, that. <laughs> yes, yes. But that was my one of my favorite. Yes, I, I enjoy. Yeah, she was good. And then they talked about Harlem and oh, Duke Ellington yes. and jazz. Jazz. That's that was the beginning of it. And they talked about there was a lot of discussion about race relations too because some speakeasies in harlem which everyone tends to think of as a very black right. section of, of new york, york right um there were whites only speakeasies yes. in harlem yes. which i found confusing i did too i found that very confusing but for the most part they were mixed race like anyone can anyone go. Could go in this obviously is in the 1920s and 30s when there was a ton of racism in oh, the United States. yes, very much. And most places were segregated, and it just yes. was a bad time, time culturally. Yes. For people who were not white. Right, exactly. 
And I, because Cotton Club was the most famous mm -hmm. one. I believe that was the one that was whites only. Mm -hmm. But the customers mostly were black and they would sell drinks to both yeah. races. I mean, they had the whites only, but they still let everybody in. That section of New York was considered to have the best music of the era. Oh, yes. Because it was the jazz, jazz what you yes. think of as jazz. Yes. And young people would go and drink all night long. Um, but I still feel like even the statements that they read from the time all had an undercurrent of racism. Definitely. And internalized racism. Yes, definitely. Yes. And what I found interesting about that era, too, was that they had the different forms of speakeasies. Mm -hmm. And they had the, what they called the speakeasy deluxe. And I guess this was geared more to younger people. And what it was is they would spread the drinking out through the entire mm -hmm. evening. They would have drinks over dinner, they would have sherry, they would have wine, and then they would have port with wine, and then cheese, and then they would have liquor with their desserts. Mm -hmm. So almost like, I think it's, it was the beginning of the supper clubs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when I went, read, when that part came out, I was like, oh, that's definitely mm -hmm. the beginning of the supper clubs. Yeah. And while all of this was breaking the law, they then turned to crime, yes, organized crime, crime, and the beer wars in Chicago, Chicago. with Al Capone. Yeah, because that was in 1926. Yeah. That was the murder of Billy McSwiggin. Yeah. He was a prosecutor, I believe. And the crime outraged almost everyone. The first person they blamed was Capone. Yeah. But they, they never, him. they couldn't, and he basically said, well, why would I kill him? He was on my payroll. Yeah. So. <laughs> All of the work that went into kind of giving people their own territory in Chicago completely failed. Oh, did it ever. And so there was just massive violence, and they talked about how there were shootouts on every corner, and it was super common. And yes. In broad daylight. Yeah. You know, it was just... It was very interesting the way they, and how they would go against each other, like Capone, um, there was a, a, a Dion O'Bannon, he was the head mm -hmm. of um, the Irish, forget, Irish gang, yeah. and he was worried that as they put the Italians, including Capone and Terrio, mm -hmm. were conspiring against the Irish, so he decided to double cross them. Yeah, and then Al Capone got a bulletproof car. Yes, yes. And... Torrio just decided he had enough after he was shot a bunch of times. times and that was it. He, and he left. Yep. He went back to New York City. And I wrote down the statistics that they gave. And 76 mobsters were killed in 1926 and 54 were killed in 1927. And they could never pin anything on anybody because even witnesses came up with what they called Chicago amnesia. Mm -hmm. So Literally, they couldn't. Nope, I didn't nope, see anything. Nope, no, no one was I ever don't know. punished. We don't have any idea. Because even like in September of 26, um, Jaime Weiss uh, led a deadly convoy of 11 sedans through Serio, which is, uh, I guess, a suburb of Illinois, mm -hmm. Chicago, firing more than 1,000 shots into Capone's headquarters. Of course, Capone was unhurt and no one was ever arrested. But three weeks later, Weiss was gunned to death in front of uh, the Holy Name Cathedral. And two of, his Leonard, two of his lieutenants were wounded by Capone's men, mm. but no one was ever... Yeah, I enjoy how they mentioned that it was so bad that Lucky Luciano went there, and he was like, this no, is too much. much. I'm leaving. Like, they're crazy. I'm going home. home. Yes, because it was, it, was it was just insane. But I think it also shows how much Al Capone had power within Chicago. Yes. 
because later on they talk about how there was a canning convention there and they went to Al Capone and they were like, look, we can't have anything. Yes, going after these few days. And nothing was reported. No robberies, no murders, nothing. Everything was quiet. What I really found with Al, Al Capone, which I found very interesting, which I never knew, is he actually told people not to invest in the stock market because he said it was a racket. And I just thought that was so interesting. It was. And I wanted to know, like, if the people that he told that to, like, if they went, they were, like, better during the Great Depression. Right. Like, um, what, did he have some kind of inside, or what, did he just have a feeling, or? I, I don't know. It seems like he might have just had a feeling, because he also refused any sort of payment except for cash. That's true. Oh, yes. If everything was cash. So yes. he might have just not trusted banks. Thanks. That's true. I didn't even think of... Uh, yeah, that's true. He might, yeah. Because that was like a common mentality. Yeah. Back then, back yes. Then. And it got even worse during the Great Depression. Yes. And there's still people today... That just that don't, don't trust Don't banks. trust banks, no matter, no matter what. I also found it fascinating that he just loved attention. Oh, my God. Was so he, he would, like, hold press conferences to be like, this is what's happening. happening. He wanted to be a celebrity. Mm-hmm. That was, you know. I also found it interesting, his comments on the newspaper. Because oh it was right in, during the time of, like, hearse and yellow journalism. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, people just believe the newspaper Remember, so I yep. can print whatever like, I That's want. right. Yes, exactly. Yep. He just, he loved to be in the spotlight. For most of the people, they implied that they didn't really care about Al Capone, like, in his actual crimes of, like, prohibition and racketeering, because they were like, Eh. prohibition's stupid anyway. Right, exactly. So why, yeah. Um, They just didn't like the mass murder that was happening. That was definitely, yes. And then it goes into an entire section on women in their role. during this time so as i mentioned before women began to drink in speakeasies and out in public and have public lives that were outside of the home and it seems like they faced a lot of misogyny from men because they felt that the women were invading their spaces yes they they very much felt they they felt like the saloons to speak where they where they could go and drink and talk about whatever and not yeah. have to worry and then all of a sudden women started showing up and they're like oh what are we supposed to do now yeah and it's it's kind of strange to think of that today very much so because i feel like you hear everyone of like oh i'm going to a bar and like people meet up at bars for bars dates, dates and yeah. like everything else so it's such a strange concept exactly it is it's very very weird and they talked about how in addition to public drinking women just began to really develop the ingrained notion that they could do whatever they wanted yes very yes that they could go drinking and they can go out and be promiscuous and they could just live their lives how oh, they, they wanted. wanted to. Yes. And there was a massive shift in morality. Very much. Yes, there and was. And the older generations of like the suffragists and the people who were very involved in promoting prohibition thought that this was a massive betrayal. Oh, definitely they did. Yes, they did. And you can really see it in the shift in clothing. 
oh my gosh. activities. <gasps> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. because you look at the beginning of the 20s, mm-hmm. and everything was still long, the boots. Yeah. And then by the mid-20s, the little flapper dresses, the hair was short. Yeah, it like cut off right below, below the knees. And all the jewelry, and it was a very massive... And plus, women were working more then, mm-hmm. too, so they had their own money. Yeah. And if you were single in a big city, you could you could do whatever you yeah. wanted. And then as it progressed, it sort of helped the country become more like, in terms of cultural norms and drinking habits, because that notion then spread through the newfound technologies of, like, movie theaters. That's and true. Media yes. And yes. commercials on the radio. Radio and, and Broadway shows and... Everything. Yeah, you're right. It was basically they changed everything mm-hmm. with because it, it was everything was more open and there was no age limit either on drinking. You could right. drink at any age. Back. Yeah, yeah. You they, drink at any age, anywhere. Yes, at any time. time. They said it's actually harder in present day because of age limits, bars mm-hmm. closing at certain times. Yeah, just trying to buy back then. You could just. Like we talked in the other, the confessionary shops, mm-hmm. the shops in New York City that were actually yeah were selling the the booze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just was a free for all. Yes, it was very much a free for all. And then after woman, you go into politics, and Al Smith was nominated to run as a Democrat for president. On the night that he was nominated, Mabel Walker Willebrand in an attempt to embarrass him, I went and raided 11 of the major speakeasies in New York City. Yes. And most people saw this as like a political ploy. Oh, definitely. It was. <laughs> Basically, that's what yeah. it was, yes. And then he was running against Herbert Hoover, who people mm-hmm. weren't happy Be with. About. I mean, they got really against him. Oh, as the years went on, yeah. definitely, yes. Um, a lot of people still want to vote what they perceive to be the right side of moral values were, which was anti-drinking. Drinking, right. More dry. Yes. At least publicly, which yes. Hoover was publicly. Right. Publicly not, he yeah. was. We don't know privately what he yeah. what he did. But they did talk about a lot of that and how the drys wanted more inflexible. They were very inflexible mm-hmm. people. They, they didn't want change. They didn't, no. They wanted it their way, and that was it. Yeah, like no compromises. Nothing. 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 They were just so rigid. Oh. And that's what a lot of the historians and people talking in the documentary mentioned was the absolute downfall of Prohibition. Yes. Like, it probably would have continued for longer if they were willing to compromise. Compromise. Yeah, just bend a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and they just would not bend at all. And Mabel Walker Willebrandt started putting out a bunch of publicity stunts in terms of raids, and then a lot yes. of people from the Republican Hoover Hoover side of yes. things um, started putting out a ton of anti-Catholic propaganda. This I found fascinating. This I thought, I don't mean to, but Smith, with Al Smith, yeah. I loved how they thought if he became the first Catholic president that... Um, that he was going to say that all Protestant children will be illeg- illegitimate and that the Pope would have an office at the White House. And this I love, mm-hmm. that he was going to build an underwater, t- underwater tunnel straight to the Vatican. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually went back lot. twice and went, what? <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot of those same arguments came up when Kennedy was I running. Do, I agree. I am, um, yes. Because I remember seeing some of 
it's like the political propaganda yes. from there. That, that era, yeah. And um, obviously none of that happened. No, none of that <laughs> happened. No, 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 none of it. Not, not a thing. Yeah. And um, what I found interesting in this whole era when we were talking about this part is that, that this is when Wayne B. Wheeler passed in 1927. Mm-hmm. And I guess his successor was a James B. Cannon, who was a Virginia political boss, a Methodist bishop, who was more self-righteous than Wheeler was. Mm-hmm. And what I loved with him is that eventually he did have his downfall because they found out that he was hoarding um, flour during the Great World War. He was doing insider trading, mm-hmm. and he had two mistresses while his wife was still alive. Yeah. Yet he got up there and preached about how alcohol was bad. Yeah, and it also <laughs> mentioned how he was super xenophobic and mm. racist. Yes. And it seemed like he helped the KKK develop a lot of their propaganda yeah. that they published during that, the time. That's what I got. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Like, this it, is mm. too much. It's too much, Yeah. But Hoover still won by six million mm-hmm. votes, and and Smith at that time was done with politics. He was like, yeah. "I'm done. I can't believe I lost. I'm done." And I think they said in the documentary that he was a bit shocked by that. Yes, because very much. he mainly campaigned in the cities where everyone was it's, super wet right, and against right. prohibition, and he was like, "Oh, I got this easy." Yes, he got the big cities. You now you normally yeah. would think, but and, somehow, yeah. Those small, dry areas yeah. pulled it out. And then they talk about how right after the election, they introduced the 5 and 10 law. Oh, yes. Where yes, yes, it yes. doubled all of the penalties. So you would get five years in jail, a $10,000 fine, and it made it illegal not to report speakeasies right. if you knew about them. So people get reported on all the time. Yes. And the one gentleman, the documentary, I forget what his name was, but his father was running a speakeasy, and it absolutely destroyed his entire family. family. Yes, because they had a... Didn't they live somewhere in Jersey, and they had to eventually get rid of that, the house? Yeah. They lost everything, and they had to move into, like, Brooklyn. Or, mm-hmm. But he said it was it just destroyed everybody, his father, yeah. everyone. Scary at the same time yeah. that you have neighbors watching neighbors and reporting mm-hmm. all of this. and Not good. No, it was not good. That was not yeah. a good thing, no. That was that was that Bishop Cannon. That was mm-hmm. his his idea. And then Mabel Walker Willebrandt expected to become the next DA. Yes, but she was or she was denied that by Hoover. Yes, so she just quit and went back to practicing law. Mm-hmm. And then she started representing companies that were producing alcohol. <laughs> yes, the movie industry. And then she converted to the Catholic faith. Yeah, which was like basically I'm done. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do now. Because I even remember from the first episode, they were talking about how, like, she really didn't care about Prohibition either right. way, but, like, it was her job. Exactly. So she committed. Right, exactly. And then they mentioned LaGuardia again and how he just continued on his story, being like, this is a failure. <laughs> it's a failure, but no one's listening. Yeah. <laughs> no one's listening. And I feel like this is really when the movement against Prohibition really took off. Took off. I, I agree. There was an association against the Prohibition Amendment, which it tried to influence the 1928 elections. Since, yep. And that didn't go well. No, it did not go at all. Goes into Pauline Saban. That's what I was just going to yeah. say. This is when she um, she was a uh, she was married to the chairman of the board, I believe, to of Guaranteed Trust Company. The president. Oh, president. Yes. Okay. And she was the first woman to serve on the Republican National Committee. Mm-hmm. 
And she was an heiress to the Morton Salt Company. Yes. And she was really a major fundraiser for Harding. Her theory with prohibition was she really supported because she wanted to protect her sons from alcohol and temptation. Mm -hmm. But she changed her mind as time went on because the leaders of the WCTU and its president, Ella Bula, claimed to speak for all American women. And Pauline was like, no, you don't speak for me. Yeah. So So she got very upset. Very upset. And she also got very upset because she began to see how much hypocrisy there was. Yes. Because politicians would come eat at her house. Right. And they would, like, vote for all the dry laws. And yes. then come and just, like, expect to get yeah. wasted so, yeah. on wine or exactly. whatever she was yeah. serving. Whatever she was serving. Exactly. And she was like, no, this isn't how no, this works. No, this is not how it works. Nope. So then she eventually switched to the Democratic Party. Yes. And started the Women's Organization for National Prohibition Reform. Then it skips here to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yes, it was, yeah, it's it's like, okay, let's go to St. Valentine's Day Massacre now. (laughs) Put a pause on that, we're going. Yeah, and then we'll come back eventually. (laughs) Again, it's Al Capone. And he was in his house in Florida. Florida. In Miami. Yes. It was was February 19th, 1929. Bugs Moran had tried to kill Capone in Torrio, so Capone hated him. Him and he and Moran hated Capone. Everyone just hated each, each other. other. So Moran got a call that there was a large alcohol shipment, which was a setup, and Moran was there waiting for people to hijack the trucks, but that didn't happen because four people in police uniforms and guns Showed came up. and just mm-hmm. shot. Them. Shot them shot up them against off. a wall. Yep, and Moran wasn't killed because he was late. He, yeah, he he wasn't he wasn't there. He, he like can't... stopped to pay a bill or, or something. something. Right? It was something weird that, yeah. and he he was late, and there was never any investigation into it either. No. And of course, Capone was blamed, even though he was like you said in Florida. Mm-hmm. And they said to this day, no one exactly knows who did the killings, believed to be the work of Capone, mm-hmm. who was was after Moran. <clears throat> And that's when it became the rallying point that something had to be done. The violence was getting too much. Yeah, and everyone started to turn on them, and they were like, we don't care how much you're supporting, like, our social programs. Like, this has to stop. This has to stop. Um, And then the general public started being like, this isn't good. It could be because policemen were being killed, regular people were being killed, caught in the crossfire. So, there was a giant mob convention in Atlantic City. City in 1929 in May, which I found very fascinating because mm-hmm. everybody was just strolling down the boardwalk. Yeah. <laughs> and they, the, they wanted to build um, a national crime syndicate. Mm-hmm. And they, they took the territories and they divided them by using the federal bank reserve grid. I found that smart and I also too. fascinating. Me too. I was like, that's very interesting. You yeah. know, so um, these guys were not stupid. They no. knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know, because they say, they keep saying that prohibition was the college and graduate school for the criminal syndicate yeah. of America. And also going by the Federal Reserve is kind of smart because it ensures yeah. that, like, the money isn't all taken from one place. So, like, right, regular exactly. people could still have money. That's true. Exactly. That was just fascinating. It was. I was like, wow. And who came up with that? They never said I know. Yeah, they just said they, and I thought that was so, so fascinating. And then, um, Capone still thought he was above the law. Of course. Um, but Hoover 
kind of just was like, we're getting Al Capone. We're, we're, we're going to take, it took a while, but eventually. And with this, I found it fascinating that Herbert Hoover just like played badminton or yeah. volleyball or whatever they were playing with the net. Yes. Like just on the front lawn of the White yeah. House. Like that was his thing. Yes. Yeah. He would just like gather everyone in his cabinet and be like, but, it's time for a game. But, yeah. Like, okay. okay. All right. Okay. We'll play, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then the Great Depression hits. Yes. And the stock markets crashed. crashed. Um, people start to go to speakeasies to drown their sorrows, so, but soon no one had any money whatsoever. So people were losing their houses left and right. And I, they said it was the worst crisis America had faced since the Civil War mm-hmm. at that time. One out of every four people were out of work, work. and that equated to about 15 million men and, and women, women at the time. Yes. Wheat, corn, and cotton prices fell so low that yeah. it was useless for them, for them to even yeah, to try to it sell in, it. Yeah, they just left it in the fields to rot. And everyone struggled for money, and people were out of work for months and months and months. Yes. They lost their homes. They didn't have food. They didn't have anywhere to work nope, because it all just, just went away. Their savings, everything. And so the government was like, maybe we should get rid of prohibition. To open up the factory, the breweries, yeah. so people will have jobs. And then they can get revenue from the taxes, taxes on it. Right. So during all this, uh, the election happened. Yes. <laughs> and uh, no one liked Hoover at this point. Oh, my God. Let's let's talk about Hoover for a second. He was really out of touch with the, with the American people. I'm sorry. He just did not did not grasp it. No, he would make things like it's not that bad. bad. Just do yes. this. Yeah, and people were just starving like, to death. Yeah, I mean, people were losing. Everything was failing, and he's just like, no, it's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah. Like people are moving into like the Hoovervilles. Yes, which are very, yes. We're essentially just like a homeless encampments and like the shanties. Yeah. You know, and, but he just, he just did not grasp it. No. <laughs> so uh, he did not win the election. No, he did not. <laughs> FDR won the election. And by a landslide, I believe. Yes. FDR carried 42 states out of the 48 states that existed. Which is amazing. And Pauline Sabin, getting back to her, she backed him fully. Oh, 100%. With the full force of her organization. So I believe that helped a lot, too. Mm-hmm. FDR said that he wanted to change the Volstead Act completely and was really sticking to it where Hoover kept wavering. And it's being yes. like, mm, we shouldn't do that because yeah, yeah. the wounds will come back. I'll be back to where I was. And everyone was like, stop. Just stop it. (laughs) Just pack up your stuff and leave. So, yeah, FDR really won. But they did get Al Capone. Yes, and that was Hoover was still obsessed with him for some reason. And he was determined to put him in jail. Yes, yep. So they went after him with income tax fraud. Which I didn't realize was a new thing in the 30s. 30s, yeah. I think that's when it really became big. And that's yeah. when, because before that, no one had to pay anything, yeah. so the rich just got richer. And and also, I found it interesting that they got him because, like, he didn't understand it. Yes. Like, it wasn't like he purposely tried to, to, to evade. Right. It, it just, like, 
he didn't like understand. What is this? Yeah, what is this? And then I also found it strange that a lot of the bootleggers like went and they were like, here are all my taxes, taxes for my bootlegging yeah. industry. Straight. And they're like, okay, thank you. Thank you for giving yeah. us that. <laughs> and they just like went about oh, their day. They, yeah. And with Capone too is that he never really kept records and he paid cash for everything mm-hmm. and he didn't keep anything in his own name. No. Everything was either in his wife's or somebody else's. And it, they said it seemed like he would often like pay out as much as he took, took in. in. Yes. So he was like, I, I don't have any money. Money, exactly. He'd be like, here's the $2 I have. Yeah. Like, what did I make? Nothing. Nothing, exactly. And like, no one knows if it was ever true, true or, not. or not. No. Um, because then he went to jail. For? On 22 counts of income and tax evasion. And it was 11 years, I think. They, uh, yeah, sentenced him to 11 years, mm-hmm. stiffest sentence at that time. But even though he was in the liquor, still flowed in Chicago, so nothing really changed. Yeah. I think behind bars, he probably still ran everything. Oh, most likely. Most I mean, likely. he bribed the jails to let him get the fancy cells, cells. Right, like at Eastern. Eastern. So, you know, he knew what he was doing. And then he blamed his publicity for being his downfall. Yes, exactly. And what I found very interesting was um, when his son grew up, his son changed his name and, and disassociated himself mm-hmm. with his father and all that. Because that legacy has to be the, yeah, that has very to be. tough. Uh, yes. Of people being like, oh, you're Al Capone's kid. Yeah. Now, I know his daughter eventually did get married mm-hmm. and moved on with her life. But the son was like, no, I can't have this last name. Yeah, it's... It's fascinating. It's very fascinating, yes. Because then you wonder if the son knew more than then he. Like, yes, I'm sure he must have. Yeah, well, because you grew up there, you grew so up you with have it. to. Yeah. So. And you wonder, like, did they know what their father did for a living, or mm-hmm. did they just have this fabulous life where they had everything and they didn't? Yeah, question it. They didn't question anything because that happens frequently. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Yes. And then. Let me go here. And then they ended Prohibition. <laughs> <laughs> we don't mean to be laughing, but it was four, 13 years of... 13 years, 10 months, and 18 days of what? Yeah. It didn't, it didn't solve anything. John J. Blaine submitted the 21st Amendment mm-hmm. to the Constitution that voided the 18th. Right. Um, and Moore Shepard, who introduced the 18th Amendment originally, um, tried to filibuster it, but no, no one... No one was paying any attention to no, him. They just like, just no, like, we're done. This is... Stop. This yep. is not happening. No, we're moving on. So it passed 63 to 23 in 40 minutes. Senate, Senate right. Yes. And then it was sent to the states, and they ratified it in no time. Mm-hmm. And then April 7th, 1933... Americans could legally buy a bottle of beer for the first time since 1920. And just as a side note, that's my mother's birthday. Oh. She was two years old in 1933. <laughs> I don't think she was out there buying. No. But people were so excited. Oh my God, were they ever? They were partying in the yes. streets. And it seems like it gave them hope. It did. The it's, 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 that they yes. could go out and like get alcohol and they were just so, so excited because yeah, they didn't have to hide they could be in big parties and yeah it was like almost like new year's eve for the way they were doing it and i found it interesting that anheuser-busch gave um gal smith a case of beer as yes. a thank you. <laughs> 
Yes, that was very, very good. And everyone thought the 18th Amendment would take a few years to get all the states ratified. It was like eight months or something. Yes, something like that. It was so fast (laughs) that it happened. And then at 5.32 p.m., which I thought was very specific. Specific. Eastern time, too. Yes. On December 5th of 1933, it was 13 years, 10 months, and 18 18 days. days. Um, it officially ended. Yes. Probably. And everyone was just super excited to be oh, able to like were. go out to dinner and yes. like have a drink with dinner. Dinner and not have to worry about anything or people coming in, crashing in and yeah. raiding every place. And But there were some states that did keep the dry laws. Mm-hmm. And there are some places that are still to this day dry. Mm-hmm. I believe, I think Cape May... In New Jersey might be a dry, dry area. I don't know. All I know is that my friend told me that Massachusetts a few months ago finally got rid of their happy hour laws because they really? banned happy hours. So now you can like have them now. Oh my gosh. So wow. they finally have happy hours. <laughs> <laughs> so there are still so, a lot yeah, of dry laws on, on the books. books. There are in different states, different areas. Yeah, it's, it's funny. That you, you don't think it is, but there are certain, you, you yeah. know. And it's also interesting, they go into the legacy of prohibition. Yes. And they talk about how it was a failure. Very much they a just failure. go on about it throughout the entire exactly. third part. Yes. Um, but it caused people to, like, pick up the pieces of society and reorganize them into a new moral framework. Right. And it was really freeing for women. Very much so for women. It also allowed all the crime syndicates to expand and become ingrained in culture. And then all men drinking establishments didn't return. Turn, no, so like they the did saloons not. did not come back. No, no, they did not come back. Everything was co-ed almost. Unless you were like one of the private clubs or something. Yeah. There are still private clubs mm-hmm. that are men only and but that's a whole different that yes. And this was also the beginning around 1935 of the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, a New York stockbroker and an Ohio surgeon discovered just by talking to one another and praying and confessing their lapses and offering counsel based on their own experiences, they could sometimes they could strengthen someone mm-hmm. else's resolve to drink. Yeah, and they mentioned how that was was an unintentional callback to the yes. Washingtonians. Society, yes, exactly. Which they didn't know existed. And I don't think either of us knew existed no, until we watched saw the first part. part. Yeah, we had no idea. <laughs> and they also mentioned that 10% of the population had a serious alcohol problem, um, but laws don't really work to control that small no. population. No, it doesn't. So, no. I mean, it is very many people in terms of numbers. Yes. And, like, the amount of people. It's a significant portion mm-hmm. of society, but... It's not enough to really warrant prohibition laws because there's still the 90% that don't have Have problems with alcohol addiction. Exactly. And they talked again about how amendments on morality don't work. Right. And prohibition really illustrates this and how a lot of, in recent years, when people try to bring up morality, in law or in proposed amendments, amendments, it was always shot down because people looked to the legacy of prohibition. It was like, this isn't it, going to work. It's not going to work. It, it just didn't work. It was, 
13 years of fighting back and forth, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. And then the one historian ended it by saying, talking about how psychology plays a big role in it. Oh, yes. Where if you're like, you can't have that, people automatically they want, want it, it Of course. That's, even in this day and uh-huh. age, we see that. You just tell me uh-huh. I can't have it, then I want it. Yeah. <laughs> just for the principle of yes. being like, ha, huh, huh, I got it. I got it. So yeah. there. <laughs> because... He was talking about how, like, he hasn't drank in, like, 30 years oh, or something. Yes. But he was like, if they made it legal, I would go have yes. a drink just to, like, prove, prove a point. point. Exactly. <laughs> um, and that's where the Prohibition documentary ended. Yes. Um, and what were your final thoughts? Um, very interesting. I mm-hmm. did not know half of the stuff that went down. Like we said, it did not work. I found fascinating the whole... Uh, George Remus mm-hmm. in part two, and then the Jazz Age and Capone. I, I just love that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It's just so much fun. Well, not for the people who were. <laughs> yeah, but learning about it. After learning the about fact. it and all of that. <laughs> and learning about different people like Paula Sabine and mm-hmm. um, Mabel Will- Willebrand. And I never knew it was called the Volstead Act. I didn't so, either. So, I mean, there was, a lot to, there was a lot to learn. It was very enjoyable, very long. Mm-hmm. Very long. But very enjoyable. And very packed with facts. Very much so. Very much so. But it was very good. It was very, very good. I learned a lot. Yes. I feel like I got more inspiration to look into books on different topics that they covered. Yes, I agree. Yes. And look more into it because you find the new aspects of it that you're like, oh, what about that? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you can go veer it off now into... Mm -hmm. I would really like to read more about like the speakeasies even like... You know, the Cotton Club and all, like, mm-hmm. what was the atmosphere? You know, I'd love to see what pictures look like. Accounts and, of them. Yes, of everybody who was there and that. Yeah. Yes. So, I'm sure they have to exist somewhere. They do. I'm sure they do. Maybe. Oh, I'm sure somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere we'll find them. But all in all, very good. Interesting. Just yeah. learned a lot. Yep. Yeah, learned a lot. Well, thank you for going on this whole journey You're welcome. and discussion. Um, the next one will be short. <laughs> yes. We will not be doing a three-part document no. next time. <laughs> um, but thank you. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or anything at all, please feel free to contact me at aloney at albright.org or call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.